Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome today to another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside Podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein. And we tend to do that through the world of sports, of business, of pastoral life, books, comedy, the list goes on and on. And I don't know about the sports part of it, but I feel like about every other part of that, we get some aspect of Ron Edmondson. So maybe we can add the comedy part in as well, but business, pastoral writing, you've done a little bit of everything. So uh, welcome, Ron Edmondson. Well, thank you. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. I know my schedule has been crazy over the last few weeks, so it's, I'm glad we found a time to do this. Yeah, you've been doing some traveling. You and Cheryl have gotten to go see some grandkid action, and I, I know you guys probably love that about as much as anything in your life, right? Yeah, we have, and we have uh, a couple more of those trips to come, so that's going to be fun. You were in, uh, I forgot, Nate is in, is it uh, Seattle area, right? Washington? That, that's correct, yeah. So we were in Seattle a couple of weeks ago. We uh, head to the beach with Nate and his family, and then we head to Texas for the Texas family pretty soon, so... Wow. Good few weeks ahead. I guess if they can't be with you, it's good that they landed places that are probably well worth traveling to. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what's your I don't know about Texas, but <laughs> <laughs> now what about uh, so your son in Texas? What's he doing down there? He uh, he works remotely, and uh, he lived in Nashville just until last month. And they decided to they're one of those cash out because the market is what it is in Nashville, and moved to Texas, and and um, hard to blame him. His wife is a twin, and her twin's been down there for about 10 years at Baylor, and so they, they're they there. He's probably going to go to take some seminary classes at Baylor and, and uh, figure out some next steps for him. But he's he does content marketing and all kinds of stuff uh, working from home. So so they're in the Waco area? That's correct. So are they, have they jumped into a Magnolia and gone and visited and done all the uh, Chip oh, and Joanna that, stuff? They've been going down there for 10 years to visit her. So they, you know, that's all. Once you've been there, I've, uh, you know, we lived in Dallas for a little while. Once you've been there once or twice, you've been there, you know. But, I mean, I, I know people like, probably like to go all the time. But for for him, he's probably like me. He's been there and done that. Well, you know what's interesting about that? I mean, this is something I have a point for us to talk about later. But it, it's funny thinking about Waco, Texas, because one of the things I've, I've said to you before that I really appreciate about you is I think you do – in your many roles as a senior pastor, you do about as well as anybody I'm familiar with as far as seeing what you do and how you guys live lifeblood of the church beyond the four walls, community, civic, business, parachurch, or whatever. And I've told people if they don't know much about Chip Gaines, they should really read, I can't remember if it was Capital Gaines or which book, but he really kind of did a deep dive about Waco, Texas, and where, I mean, I, I'm wondering who in a city has done what they've done for a city like Waco. And I mean, that kind of fits pretty well with who you are in your DNA. Yeah. I haven't, you know, not to near the extent of impact he's had on that city. And, you know, there, there would be, um, 
uh, depending on where you fall in 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 Waco, because uh, my sister in law uh, teaches at Baylor, so she's down there too. There's, you know, it's good and bad with uh, with what they bring. I think it's good. It has certainly revitalized a lot of things, and yet it's brought out a lot of tourism and traffic and uh, and that uh, stretches the the infrastructure and that sort of thing as well. So, and and that's the same when any kind of um, development or um whether it's economic or whether the church is growing it creates those tensions either way sure and some people love it and some people don't see i think when i think of you i think about uh you know i've I've been familiar with you and we've had some level of contact for i'm guessing it was about six or seven years ago when i came down there and spent some time with you when tim tebow was visiting lexington in his minor league baseball days and uh, I remember particularly the, the, the probably moment for me that really stands out about you is when you were doing some of those prayer walks over COVID, when you guys were in Clarksville, and just mm-hmm. your energy, the smile about which you went about things. I mean, you were in an interim role there, and you seemed all about Clarksville, Tennessee. I mean, embracing it, pointing out things that you had known from your time there before or whatever, and you just seemed to love on Clarksville like you had never been anywhere else, and you had deep roots there. I mean, how, how do you kind of, in your mind, especially when you've been through some transition in the last several years, really have roots already seemingly formed when you're at a place? Well, you know, you just got to look for uh, the common connection because we've all got some, and, and, you know, in Clarksville, we were a downtown church, and downtown businesses were the ones struggling the most at the start of COVID. And so um, it made sense to me. I could have easily said, and I think the first step is just to say, let's pray for the business community around us that's struggling. That's one thing is I could have said that online. Another thing is to go where they are and actually uh, do that. And so we made a point of, and I'm a cook, so we cook at home a lot, but we made a point of doing a lot more takeout during that time just because we wanted to support those businesses and let them know that we cared. Uh, and again, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to actually show up and do it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we just wanted to embrace the community during that season. And the other side to that, too, was there were a lot of people that were feeling stuck inside during those days, all of us. And um, it was a way we did not have an ordinance against me walking downtown um, uh, by myself without a mask on. And so uh, it was a way for me to take the community to some people mm-hmm. and, and they seemed to enjoy that. And there were people I would walk around the church and there were people who told me they had not been to that church in a number of years, not just because of COVID because they were shut in or whatever. It was like going home again. Sure. So it was kind of nice. Hey. Well, Ron, give us your couple minute uh, version of your testimony. Tell us how you came to Christ. Well, I grew up in a uh, Christian home, uh, so we were in church every time the doors were open. And so I don't have that, um, you know, that that long come to Jesus kind of time. I just remember as a 10 year old boy recognizing uh, what I'd been taught, what I'd been modeled uh, from by my mother and by the church. And uh, it was just uh, it was actually in a revival service back when we used to have those. And I, I felt the spirit of God. It's as real to me today as it was then. Uh, and I just, you know, gave my heart to, to Christ as a 10 year old boy. Um, I don't remember the date of the revival. I never found that out, but I was baptized November 10th, 1974. So I was 10 years old then. And, uh, it's, you know, you go through seasons where you, when you're, especially early adult, when you question, you know, you've made bad decisions and you question, okay, was that real? 
And I, I've never been able to come away from that. Mm. That was that was a real decision to follow Christ. Amen. That's great. Well, let's talk about. I, I went back and looked and, and looked at your last season at uh, Emmanuel Baptist, which are now back. Um, you have been through a whirlwind of a four plus years. I think that's probably fair yeah. to say. So talk about what the last four plus years of your life, and this is before COVID, but um, you know, you, you've done some different things and I'm sure there's been some moments in there where it's like, okay, Lord, what are you doing right here? So tell us about the last four plus years of your life with you and Cheryl. Well, I am going back to Emmanuel Baptist uh, as senior pastor, and we certainly didn't see that one coming um, and overwhelmingly supported and, and everyone is just, um, you know, um, we're thrilled for them and they're thrilled for us. And so it's a very good thing. And yet there were some people that were not there that came during that interim time or in between time. Uh, one of the questions was, well, but if you look, Ron's had a lot of different jobs in the last four years. And I said to the uh, search committee, that's really uh, the wrong question. That's kind of a short-sighted question. You should be asking why I've had 30 jobs in my career. That would be a better <laughs> question. So I've done a lot of different things. So it's not that unusual that I've done many multiple things. And in the four years, you know, we did a stint at Leadership Network and spent the, the 22 months or so there really reshaping that organization and actually leading them towards what they've done now, which is a merger. Um, and, and that was a, I learned so much. It was a great, great season, but we got, um, uh, kind of homesick for grandchildren and, and decided to, uh, move back to Nashville area. And I was going to consult and teach and that sort of thing started filling my calendar and, uh, a month in, and along the way, I took this interim role in Clarksville really as a, just a stepping stone until I could get to Nashville. We were going to build a house. We rented a place downtown. I could walk from my back door to the front door of the church. It was that close. So it was a, and it was a great, great season, but a month in I filled my calendar during the week with consulting and coaching opportunities. And then on the weekend I would be at the church and sure enough, one month in COVID hits and everything I had on my calendar for the next six months went away. And, um, but what a blessing I had the church, you know, and so we were able to just deep dive into the church, really intentionally spent some time there, loved the staff, loved the team, uh, were able to do everything we did in revitalization in the first three years at Emmanuel back from 2012 to 2015, we did at this church in, in 10 or 11 months, you know, from changing the worship styles to uh, remodeling some, to changing the, the, the bylaws and, and governing structure. I mean, everything uh, and helped them find a new pastor. So it was just a great, great season. But then uh, COVID was still going strong and I, I took a job uh, at Brentwood Baptist uh, that was really created, uh, created position seemed perfect for me. Uh, Mike Glenn, who was a friend of mine thought that I was a good fit to help them kind of, it was a revitalization, but kind of morph into a new season. And it just wasn't a good fit. Um, everything they said they wanted, the, the structure and organization really didn't, wasn't ready for. And I'm kind of a change agent. So if, if you want things to stay the same, I'm not your guy. And as much as they wanted that, the structure just didn't allow for that. And I stayed frustrated. They stayed frustrated. And, uh, you know, had I been in the senior role, it might have been different, but I wasn't. So it was very difficult to really bring about change. And so, you know, just recognizing this is, you know, another COVID decision that we took this job, but it just was a job. And 
So we, uh, Cheryl and I both decided, um, you know, we're better off. I'd rather walk away friends and recognize this is not a good fit than keep making your life and my life miserable. And, and so, and I just don't think that's a very kingdom minded thing to do. And so I've always told every church I've ever worked at, uh, pastored, I've always told our staff, never stay in a ministry job for a paycheck, be willing to step out and trust God uh, for that next season. And so I would have been a hypocrite had I not been willing to do that. And so I, that's, uh, that's what we did. And uh, lo and behold, we step out in August, about a, almost a year ago and didn't know what was next. And uh, the next phone call I get is from Emmanuel where, you know, I'd gone back to coaching and teaching, consulting, that sort of thing. But Emmanuel called and they just found themselves without a pastor again. And Hey, would you come help us on an interim basis? Sure. Uh, you know, uh, that's what I do. So we started doing that for a few weeks, really thought it'd be a very short assignment. And then, um, in the meantime, I agreed to do that with a church here in Nashville as an, as a transitional, um, person. And I told them, I said, I can't preach for you right now, but I can help lead the church. And that gave me a office in Nashville and a place to hang out. And one thing led to another, we ended up with a longer term commitment to a manual. So we end up living in two, two, um, locations for the last year, uh, almost a year where we have a 600 square foot apartment in Lexington. And we have our house, of course, in Nashville. And, and uh, it's been hard. And yet in many ways, it's been wonderful. And we were able to help the church here in Nashville transition to a new season, help them find their new pastor. They're going to kill it. Uh, he's doing an incredible job. The church is super excited. I preached there a couple of weeks ago and, and uh, you know, they just applauded me and all that, you know, and I, I wasn't doing it for that reason, but they really uh, recognized that this was a good thing. It really turned out to be a good thing. And then along the way, over the last few months, we just didn't see it coming, but Emmanuel began to reach out to us about coming back and the potential for that. And, and it just, you know, it made sense. Everything that we had in Nashville um, to come back to our, our grandkids had now gone to Texas and, um, we didn't see it coming, and yet it 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 just started to make sense that that's what God was doing. And so, here we go. Uh, August first, we'll be back in in Lexington full time, and and uh, look forward to it. It's a different calling this time. It's mm. it's but the first time was a revitalization, repositioning of the church. This time, it it's really what where could we take a, a relatively healthy church, of course it's survived COVID and all that. So every church crippled a little bit through COVID, but a relatively healthy church, where could we go into the next season? So we're excited about that. You know, it's interesting as you talk, I think two things kind of jump out at me is during those Clarksville times, uh, we cherry picked our church, cherry picked something you guys were doing when you and one of the staff would speak after the service and kind of you know, uh, debrief yep. and kind of talk it maybe in a little bit more of a community sense. We I, I showed our staff that uh, I'm not even on staff. I just showed it to them and they, they cherry picked and did something very similar. And you could just tell you were really uh, I didn't know the, the timelines there where things were longer at IBC and then they got shorter with what you did there. And you now looking back, I can totally sense that. And I think looking at, at you know, you, you're making these maybe little, maybe big deposits, whatever, kind of pepper spraying it all over the place. And to hear about the Green Hills thing and how much they're really grateful for you, they're really transitioned to go forward well. It's fun to think about that many deposits and things going so well. 
Uh, I'm kind of curious about, I mean, the timing seems really good in a lot of these areas, but I would imagine with you and Cheryl at some point, there was some frustration, like, Lord, what are you doing? We did not sign up to move around and change our life and all that. I mean, I just had, I just had a 34 year old kid who I've invested in for 22 years and he was on the cusp of some really cool things I think, and God was in the midst of developing some great stuff. And out of nowhere, he died of an asthma attack. Mm. And I was really bummed out, like, Lord, what are you doing? And I had some Joe mm. moments where I'm like, the timing for this really seems to stink. And I, I, I want to trust yeah. you, but timing seems really bad. Did you and Cheryl wrestle in a negative way at points with the Lord and say, what are you doing? Well, there were several times. In fact, I've, I've been honest with the church and the, especially the search committee. There were several times over the last few months. So as we record this, we're talking June and I accepted the position and was voted in in May about late February, early March, where we were just like, I just don't think this is it. And there were several times we almost walked away, but you know, I tend to question God in the hour, but never in the day. And Mm -hmm. and what I mean by that is, you know, I'm, I'm old enough, seasoned enough, been around long enough that if there's anything I'm certain about it, it's that God is in control. He's good, faithful, and kind. He has a, he has a benevolent purpose behind everything he allows and we can't see it at the time. So I would teach that, but I honestly have come to believe that and, and embrace that. So question in the hour, but not in the day, by the end of the day, I'm going to, okay, God, I'm gonna give it back to you because I don't understand this. I don't, I may not even like it. It's not that I'm resolved to it, to say, okay, oh, I just accept this and go on. It's not, I'm not that naive, but just the reality that, okay, God, you must have something in mind here. So for today, I'm going to give it over to you and go to bed and sleep. And then the next day, wake up and do it all over again. Sure. But, um, so yeah, you know, uh, we didn't, we certainly couldn't have scripted our life the last few years, especially not the last year, but, you know, it looks like he's writing it pretty well right now. Mm. So what have you learned? You talked about the church being different, Emmanuel being different now than what it was when you were there before. What have you learned about yourself? And what have you learned about Father God that maybe you wouldn't have if you would have stayed there this whole time and never left? Well, one thing just is, is in some very practical ways, uh, the position at Leadership Network afforded me to some a front seat at some of the best church practices out there and some of the best churches that are getting it done. And so I, you know, I've been in some really cool conversations over the last um, few years and it's, it's changed the way I lead probably the best example of that. And one that will impact me in the, in the future. I don't even know how it plays out yet completely, but I came out of the business world. So, you know, I have had lots of different experiences, uh, in, in life and government, all kinds of things. So I came into ministry as a pastor, recognizing that your contributions sitting in the pew is just as important as mine on Sunday. And so what you, I would always say what you do on Monday is just as important as what I do on Sunday. I did not feel like the church. I was very active. I was very um, committed to my church, but I did not feel like they fully appreciated what I had to offer as a lay person to be candid. So I served on dozens of nonprofit boards because the church didn't have a place for me to use those skills. When I became a pastor, it was always, um, so I'll give you an example. I was, I was, um, I was president of United way at one point and I brought together a hundred community leaders to see how we could take United way to the next level. 
and one of the one of the leading business guys in the in the uh, community stood up and he said, "I can solve this in a minute. All we need to do is close about half of these blankety blank churches. All they do is take from the community. They never give anything back." Well, I I tried to speak against that because I was an active member of my church. I was a minority. That was 25 years ago. But I said to myself then, you wouldn't say that about my church mm-hmm. if I was pastor. And and that just kind of registered with me. So I've always looked for people and tried to plug them in where they fit, try to plug into their ministry wherever they, if you if you got a ministry, I'm going to support it. It doesn't have to even fit in the church budget necessarily. It's so always pastored that way, but then I didn't. It wasn't until I got to Leadership Network, and I began to to uh, look at, uh, ish, at at like faith, work, and economics as a movement. You know, the 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 gospel in all of life, the twenty four seven reality of being a believer. That I realized we I communicated one thing, and I think I did that as well as I knew how at the time. But what I didn't do is allow the church to program that way. We programmed around give me three hours of your time every week. So uh, come serve, uh, come worship, come Bible study, come serve, and you're good. Well, that's the exact opposite of what the gospel is. And so Christ would have us to serve Monday morning just as faithfully as as we did on on Sunday. And so that's going to change the way that I lead. I don't, again, I don't know how that practice is played out yet, but I'm certainly starting to have the conversations I think I'll spend more time in the workplace of our uh, business people than I will expecting them to come to the church mm-hmm. and have coffee with me. Um, I think I'll recognize that, that you can be just as uh, now I still believe in corporate worship and I'm going to encourage that and, and, and promote that as much as I can. But at the same time, there may be times where your best part of your week is when you had a meeting at, at, at your workplace with somebody who is, trying to discover where, where they are in life and, and uh, where they line up with the gospel. So I want to encourage that more. And uh, so that's just one example of how I, I've really probably shifted in, yeah. in my thought process. So I guess that means too, knowing he's visited your church a number of times over the years, that means more times hanging out with John Calipari at Rupp Arena, right? Well, if he's <laughs> open to it. We used to have a cafe. We're going to try to reopen that. Actually, it closed during COVID and, and, uh, uh, one of the things that we're looking forward to is Calipari used to come hang yeah. out there, you know, and so we're we're hoping that we can get him back in the building a little bit. Trust me, when that group of guys I was with down there and you showed us around on a tour and we saw that spot, that hasn't left my memory bank. <laughs> Calipari yeah. came in there. So, well, you know, I love what you said about what people at your church do on Monday morning and Monday during the day is as important as you're doing anything on Sunday. And uh, that's just a great, you know, quotable thing for any of us to take with us and apply whatever our role in life is. So, hey, Ron, let's transition quickly here. I do this rapid five thing. So I got five quick hitting questions. These are meaty. These are these are fun. And uh, your opinion here matters a lot. So what is your favorite childhood snack or cereal? You know, I get asked that type thing all the time and I just don't have favorites. And so it would have changed every day. But I'm going to say. I'll just pick pizza. All right. I just, I, you so, can't go wrong with pizza. Pizza's I can't believe you get good. asked that question a lot. That, that surprised me, especially. Uh, I get asked what my favorites are, okay. not necessarily in a positive, in a podcast, but I, I don't have, uh, my family notoriously knows I just don't have favorites. I just have a hard time landing on them. I pictured you but, being a Golden Graham or some sort of Cheerios guy. Yeah. No, I just, 
I like Lucky Charms if you can just pick out the, oh, yeah. the uh, marshmallows. <laughs> there you go. So what's your favorite book, Ron, you most want it, want or have given to other people? Besides the Bible, Besides right? The Bible. Sure, we got to uh, say that. Yeah, and the pastors have to have a disclaimer. The um, You know, the one I've given out the most, I don't know that I would say it's my favorite. It is a favorite, but one, the one I've given out the most is by a, a guy I've had the opportunity to meet him several times. He's a one of the VPs at Chick-fil-A, Mark Miller, and his the book is The Secret. And it's so simple and, and yet so complex on just, uh, it's a parable uh, of uh, a, a story of a young leader learning how to do it. And, if, and I love young leaders, and so it, I've given that book out so many times. Ron, if you have not listened to it within the last few months, he was on a podcast with Kerry Newhoff that was unbelievable. He talked, one of the things he talked about in there was how you can eliminate 25% of your time like that and just yeah. how you spend time. There's so much good on there. It was how they transitioned over COVID, yada, yada, yada. When I was, when I was in the, uh, I may have been a pastor. I can't remember or I was in the business world. I can't remember, but I brought him into the community to speak to the chamber of commerce. And we gave out that book to everybody in the room. So just that one act alone would probably make it the most book I've given out. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. So here's one for you. So Ron, if you get your Mount Rushmore of lunches, you and three current living people, who are you dining with and where are you going to eat at? Uh, we're, I'm probably going to have to stretch it to four, but I'll leave one off because she's not sitting up yet. I would pick my three granddaughters, uh, my three oldest granddaughters. I've got four, I'd pick those three, um, four, two, and two, and uh, we would go wherever they want to go. And there would probably be a little argument about that. You know what's funny is with a lot of people, I would, uh, I would not, I would try to argue that and pick somebody not outside of family. But I know that's so much you and Cheryl's heartbeat more than just what we're supposed mm -hmm. to say. So that makes sense. Well, we'll stay on the family thing. So if you're going vacationing with your sons and you got your grandkids around, and if it's like our family, we may know where we're going to stop, but traffic or potty break or something messes that up and we got to go like 15 minutes early and you say, Hey, we're not going to stop again. We're doing it now. And you see on the, the uh, exit sign, these three places, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, and we'll go West coast action here in and out burger. Which of those three is the Edmondson family stopping at? I'm going to secretly be praying in and out uh, burger probably because I get Chick-fil-A all the time, but if my granddaughter, four-year-old, is in the car, she's the boss. And so we're going wherever she says at the time. Wow. Wow. Go back. I want to be four years old again because I know I'm not the boss at my house. So um, <laughs> here's a good one for you, Ron. So I joked about you not being uh, maybe where, wherever you may stand on a comedy thing. What's your all-time favorite dad joke or like a bit by a comedian that you just think is gold? Tell us about your comedy flavor. Well, I don't have favorites, but I, I started my Father's Day message with 10 dad jokes, and they just really went over, and I don't even remember most of them. I, I don't remember a lot of jokes. I'm a more of a witty guy in the moment, and uh, but one of my favorite comedy routines of all times I, I just is the Seinfeld episode where he's renting the car and they don't have the car ready. I just, I just had that encounter. I, I went to Columbia recently, the, the country, and they didn't have our hotel reservation, and I and no one on the on the around me at the time on the trip knew that episode. But I'm like, you know how to take the reservation, but you don't know how to hold the reservation. <laughs> That's, That's really the most important part.
So, yeah, all-time favorite. I was blanking. I was trying to think about it, and I got stuck between thinking about Kramer and the guy doing the racing of the airplanes where they were gambling like crazy, and then I thought about the parking space where they got left lost in the garage. Oh, yeah, that's But great. now that you say that, I do remember you know how to take it. You don't know how to hold that. It's a great bit. Yeah, you'll have to uh, uh, YouTube that clip and watch it when we finish this, just for a reminder. So since you, since you referenced Seinfeld, do you get in much on Netflix because they bought them out a couple years ago. Do you watch many of the comedians in cars getting coffee? I do. You know, when, uh, especially in Lexington this during this season, a lot of times I've been there by myself and we don't have cable there. So I'm getting on Netflix and just vegging on some of that. Oh, that the Barack Obama episode, ridiculously funny. Uh, there's so, I mean, there's so many good ones. Uh, Sebastian Maniscalco, um, uh, uh, what's her name from uh, Kristen Wiig from uh, Saturday Night Live, Letterman. They're, there's some great ones on there. So, um, well, let's keep going more, a little bit more of a serious nature. So, Ron, I think with you, another thing that really uh, spurs me on is you just seem never uh, to be loose with the gospel as far as really holding it at a premium and being excited about gospel kingdom movement. What do you do to kind of stoke the fires? I mean, I'm sure transitioning has helped because you're doing some new things seemingly all the time, but how do you keep the gospel so fresh and so in the forefront to impact the lives of other people, whether that's through speaking or writing or whatever else? Well, it could be, you know, I, I've never, I've just never gotten over it. I mean, I just, I, I, um, somebody asked me one time, how do you remain humble? And I said, well, you keep being humbled. And, <laughs> and I think, um, for me personally, I, I still don't understand why he wants to have anything to do with me. I mean, I, I like, I just don't understand why he would, he would offer his life for mine. Cause I know what that mine's not worthy of that. Uh, one of the prayers I pray every Sunday before I preach is Lord, I'm not worthy of this. I can't do this. If, if it's, mm. if it, if anything's going to happen today, it will have to be supernaturally by your power. Mm-hmm. And so I've just really, it's, I'm not just saying that as a discipline, it really is a reality. I just, I haven't gotten over the fact that the gospel is real and that what that means for my life. I hope people catch that. I love how you said that, that I haven't gotten over it. I mean, that's mm. true of really anything in life that's significant, you know, whether it's a, a death that the Lord uses in our life, a, a, a challenge, a financial setback, whatever it is. And the fact that, I mean, it's so, so often that can be taken negatively, but when you're talking about something as prized and valuable and really everything, uh, the whole enchilada with the gospel, that's, that's significant. Well, let me ask you this. What are you experiencing, seeing, giving attention to in our world right now that maybe other people may not be paying attention to that you're onto something maybe? That's a great question. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what that is. I think, uh, I guess the one thing I would say is we seem to be so divisive and it really, it, it, and it breaks my heart that we are. And yet simple gestures of kindness really do make a difference. Um, and, and sometimes that's a bold kindness. Uh, I'll give you a, a uh, an example. Um, and I hope this one translates okay. I, I really do because it, it it was it was from my heart. But I, I I mentioned and made a deal out of Juneteenth when that was celebrated, and and that was not a. Um, I mean, it's a it 
you know, we, we had a pretty diverse congregation when I was there. It's not as much now after COVID. I hope that returns. We once had 20 plus nations represented when I was there. I hope that turns and, and comes back around. But I had a man angry leave the service over that, which broke my heart. But just yesterday, I had uh, an African-American lady come to me and she said, I want to thank you for the courage to say that. Mm. That made me feel welcome here like nothing else. So, again, it's simple gestures of just literally recognizing other people are out there and their their needs are real. And, you know, even when we get to a very some very divisive issue, I don't have to agree with you in order to love you or be kind to you. And I think we're missing some of just simple civility towards one another of saying, look, can we just be friends first? Whenever I have a disciplinary matter with somebody at, at you know, an employee or whatever, I'll always say first, look, at the end of the day, I want to be your friend. Yeah. We may not agree on this. I may not handle this right. I may be terrible at this. But at the end of the day, I just want to be your friend. That's more important to me than anything else. Amen. Amen. Last question. If I were to ask Cheryl, Ron Edmondson is becoming what? What would Cheryl say you're becoming? Uh, she would have to mention something with the grandkids. I think I'm becoming a big softy, actually. I tear up easier. I, you know, things get me, um, get to my emotions faster than they used to. So I, I think she would probably mention something about how the grandkids are shaping me. Amen. That's always a good thing. So if people need to find you, they can go to ronedmondson.com. Any, anywhere else we would want to take people to? Um, you have a book I know coming out at some point, right? Yeah, I've got another devotional book, but everything I do is pretty much centered around that ronedmondson.com. So all my social media accounts are linked there and books are available there and that sort of thing. Well, thanks again, Ron. You're always, uh, whether you know it or not, I know you did a devotional for me that we used with the gathering circles uh, over COVID, but I appreciate your mentoring from a distance and uh, investing in me. And uh, I think the same will be true of our friends here at Rise FM and our podcast today. Well, thank you so much, Jeff, for having me. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.